Da, 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 da. You guys, welcome. Uh, it's a bit of a weird episode this week. I'm on the road, and so James is not joining me, but joining me is mm. the fabulous H. Allen Scott. Hi. Yes, hi, hi. How are Yay. you? So, We're actually Allen, in my apartment. We are, yeah. I've traveled wow. to L.A. for DragCon, yes. and you've very kindly welcomed me into your podcasting studio. Yeah, my home. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> we have just recorded an episode of your fabulous podcast, Out on the Lanai, yeah. uh, which I love. It's a Golden Girls Review podcast. Thank you. Yay. Yeah. And I just I listen every week. I'm such you're a fan. so smart at the Golden Girls. It's so nice to like <laughs> hear, like you know. I mean, Carrie and I, we have our own little report. Carrie Doherty is my co-host. We have our own little report going, but like, it's always nice to talk to a GG expert. Mm. At least I'm Which smart about something. That's you. You no trust. <laughs> I have a feeling everybody listening is like uh, Matt. You're smart about a lot of things. Uh, maybe I'm not smart about remembering names. I just I had a little. I'm attack horrible or, with yeah. names. I'm absolutely mm. horrible with names to the point where sometimes I will have friends. I will ask a friend. Just ask how to pronounce someone's name. That way I hear it and know mm. it. Yeah. It's really bad. That's my trick as well. When I meet yeah. somebody and I can't remember their name, I'm like, and, and how do you pronounce your name? Yeah. And often that backfires yeah. because it's like Scott Jones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I thought it was Johansa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had a little... So we have this sort of um, torture game, James and I, mm. where um, like I frequently forget the names of people particularly actresses oh i and, i never forget yeah. those okay so for me it's like it's just a horrible uh, debilitating condition are there particular ones you usually forget yes Who? so uh curly hair cupid doll from the jerk mary steenburgen nope she's oh, in was... heartbeeps and she's in she's the witch and into the woods you're forgetting people Ooh. that are meant to be forgotten right no i don't know not at all <laughs> blurred 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 bank uh, bernadette peters bernadette peters, bernadette peters. Yes. yes well i'm sorry and this is going to be controversial for many of our listeners but like you can forget her for the jerk I I would never. She sings that lovely ban- no. banjo. No, it's not a banjo. It's a ukulele. The only duet. thing you need to remember her for is Gypsy on Broadway. Okay. Well, yes, for sure. That's all. <sighs> I mean, I'm 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 in the Patty Lapone camp of Gypsy on Broadway. I have oh. to admit, I saw okay. that live, and it was a life changing experience. Really. But I also saw Bernadette Peters, and I thought it was a beautiful experience as well. But Patty Lapone gave something that was more raw. It was there was there was a grittiness to it that was just like. Oh yeah, this is an experience. Was it like? Did she feel unhinged or like? Yeah, she did. Okay. She, you, I mean, and she was like Patty Lapone, <laughs> the actress, was unhinged during it. There's a famous video of, of I don't have a video of audio, but of her yelling at an audience member for using their cell phone, which she's known for. But it it almost felt appropriate for the character because Patty Lapone played, you know, Mama Rose, um, uh, in a way that was just so sad because she had missed mm. out on so much whereas bernadette uh, peters played her in almost a like a beauty forgotten whereas uh-huh. whereas patty lapone played it in a way that was like she never really was pretty and she wanted oh, wow. to be and she always was just sort of second fiddle this is sort of why this is going to be controversial mm. uh, roger moore is my favorite bond he <laughs> yeah i know it's crazy but so random too. yes because he has a an insanity mm. that feels like he had some like crazy trauma like he yeah. saw something horrifying yeah. that turned him into a madman i like that i like that when characters that especially when you when you see people play roles that are familiar you know what i mean mm-hmm. there was a um oh god what's her name she was on Law and Order. She's like was the female on the original Law and Order. She was like the detective, uh, Eck Paragon, not Eck Paragon, um, 
God, you know where I... I promise you, I'm not going to be rem- well, remembering it's, this. It's okay. I'll, I'll bring it up. But she did on Broadway a revival, Come Back Little Sheba. If you don't know that, uh, it's, uh, it originally was with Shirley Booth. Shirley Booth, amazing Hollywood story. She won her first Academy Award for her first film when she was like in her 40s or 50s. Hmm. And she had been a Broadway actress for years and she only made like eight films in her life. And wow. they all were you know, her leading roles. And then she later became famous for a TV show that came in the sixties, like many people, you know, um, but she really fascinating woman, but this woman, the revival for comeback little Sheba, it basically, they made it into a, they had a black woman playing a character that was, you know, historically with the, with the situation was a white woman. And the way she did it was so, I can't even, it just was so real. And Mm -hmm. like, she brought a, history to it that um oh s apitha merkson wow what a wonderful name yeah you would recognize her face s apika Mer- oh yeah. yeah for sure yeah she was on law and order she's done a lot yeah. of stuff um that sounds like a name that i would forget and say the yeah, wrong name i could never remember that name. yeah but she did an incredible job in this play come back little sheba which you guys should see the film shirley booth it's a beautiful film and it's basically about a sort of like a rose from the golden girls type woman who's a little gullible and, and she's in an abusive relationship with an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and it's all about a tragedy that happened and her trying to manage the sort of sadness that she has in her life while also being there for her husband, who's an alcoholic and it's a heavy, heavy play, but this revival and having a character, having an actress take on a different role in such an interesting and unique and raw way of something that's already really raw was really beautiful to watch. Come back little sheep, guys. Okay. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Neat. Yeah. Well, I can't remember what got us on this topic. But, I can't either. <laughs> oh, uh, Bernadette Peters. Oh, yeah. Uh, somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bernadette Peters is one of those names that I always forget. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, and I can only remember by going to the drag queen in, um, nope, it's the trans woman in uh, 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 Priscilla Queen of the Desert is oh. named Bernadette. Yeah, For you're some right. reason I can remember that. That's and a, that gets me to Bernadette Peters. Talk about an actor playing against type. I know. That man, there. that man was known for playing gritty action hero type villain people and he was cast in that role intentionally mm-hmm. in a similar way to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia in mm-hmm. that they wanted to cast someone to against type that people had a perception of so that they would then see this film and get awareness of a larger issue, mm-hmm. which, you know, people were, was a polarizing issue of people talk about for in Tom Hanks's character, it's, you know, homosexuality and AIDS and having someone having America's sort of lovable hero from like big and a league of their own. And, you know, and all these other movies splash, you know, a right. lovable man, to then give him AIDS and make him gay. Yeah, I it, know. It, it really, it stabs you in the heart. It stabs you in the heart, but it also says to that woman who loved him in Splash, I have to yeah. go see this movie. Right. And it makes then her think about gay issues in a way that she never would have thought of in any other capacity. Right. Really, really, it, it shows the power of sort of like what art does in filmmaking and, and how it can help people. That opera scene in Philadelphia. Oh, where, my God. Oh, devastating. Yeah. Too much. The Philadelphia, I keep, I often, and it's timely that we talk about this because Jonathan Demme just passed away, but uh, the director of Philadelphia, um, what an interesting man. What an interesting movie. What a beautiful film. Like, yeah. really, really, really. And if you want to see something incredible, watch Tom Hanks' Oscar speech for that movie. Oh, yeah. It will leave you in tears. Every time <laughs> yeah. I watch it, I watch And 
I guess, in and outs partly based on it. But I was going to say, yeah, the yeah. thing that inspired in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did videos about both of those. I did a video uh, on it's on my YouTube channel about Philadelphia, about how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. And another one about the way that um, gays are represented in and out. Yeah. And uh, boy, oh boy, you really. I liked in and out, even though the representation was a little off for me. But I, I think I do injustice saying that because I'm coming from a very privileged perspective of having years on that and not looking at it from a place of what it was like in 1997. I guess yeah. when it came out, like. If I was a gay man living the age I am now in 1997, seeing In and Out, I probably would have applauded it. I probably exactly, would have had a yeah. fucking parade for it. Well, I just so I'm here in LA and I'm doing a bunch of interviews, and I interviewed Bruce Valanche, and I yeah. asked him if it was frustrating. He worked on a lot of like variety shows and things mm-hmm. in the 70s, Oscars, and yeah, and the Oscars, yeah. of course. And he was talking about how they would slip little bits of innuendo in here and yeah. there. And, you know, the gays would get it and everybody else would just move right on by. Yeah. And I was like, was it frustrating to have to code everything like that? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, it wasn't frustrating because we just didn't know. We didn't yeah. know any better. Like, we never done it. It's hard else. to be frustrated by something that is your reality. Right, yeah. You don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot. I think about that with, like, you know, with gay men and, and women in the 70s we were talking before we started this about marriage and how marriage wasn't sort of even really very much on the radar in the 1970s. Right. Even though there is some interesting pockets of it where it was talked about. Um, there's a great book that's back there somewhere called gay LA that talks a little bit about sort of the marriage movement in the seventies. But, um, I wrote a book about the marriage movement in the seventies. Oh yes, you did. Yes. But, but that was specific to LA. This yeah. is like a very specific story, but there are like, you know, specific stories that talk to the larger issue. And of course it got sidetracked, like you said, by the AIDS epidemic. But even then the AIDS epidemic fueled it in a way, the response to the AIDS epidemic in the nineties fueled the marriage mm-hmm. movement in a lot oh, of ways. Oh yeah. Yeah. The moral imperative of yeah. having. Yeah. Legal. Well, so I, you know, there's the, I, I, I kind of talk about these twin um, seem like they should be competing, but are actually complementary uh, imperatives of uh, legal equality mm-hmm. and also challenging and interrogating the what the the institution, and because marriage is is a kind of a flawed thing that uh, we could stand to be better, and so of course. Well, we when you have say equality. that, though, I think you have to like preface this by what exactly you mean by marriage when you say. Well, yeah, because it's been a lot of different things, right? Well, it is a lot of different things. I mean, to many different people, uh, marriage is almost ex- and not not even just exclusively to straight people. I mean, there are many. There are many. I know many gay Jewish couples who had, you know, a religious ceremony because that was very important to them, but the legal document is not very important to them. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's differences there. Um, and I think when you talk about marriage, you really have to be very specific on like what you're talking about and what you're, what you what you mean when you say what you do. Well, so speaking of marriage, yeah. uh, we got some marriage news this week. Marriage news. Yes, I'm single. Can you believe? <laughs> that's, that, and that's the news. Thanks <laughs> that's for joining us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you believe it? Like, it's kind of crazy, right? Like I said, like when I was describing the show to you, yeah, we talk about what's happening with marriage equality week to week, yeah. and you were kind of surprised by that. That, like, oh, well, is there stuff? Is I mean, yeah, I know. I'm sure there is. There's always stuff because I work in media, and I know that <laughs> you have to fill you have to fill things all the time with news. Um, but I. Uh, I, I I I wonder I wonder about the substance of the news. Mm. I I'm and I'm cynical of oftentimes coverage of certain things that involve minorities, oftentimes by major outlets. Um, I find a lot of times major outlets have sort of done a it gets better moment with gay media, and they know that it will get 
attention and likes and clicks if it's somehow controversial and and because everyone loves a story of a little guy being held down mm -hmm. and it's a classic trope that people love to read and so if you know Trump says something about something, then uh, it could change marriage equality forever. And then you read the article and you're like, oh, that was just a tweet. Why am I reading this article? What? <sighs> sure, sure. Like the, the tempest in the teapots. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. so here's what we got this week. So the National Organization for Marriage, remember them? Yes. Our now. Friends. Yeah. Uh, That's the acronym. NOM. No, NOM. Wait, no, what's now? What's now? National Organization for Women. Oh, that is now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess they don't care about marriage. They all can get married. Most they, of them. Bless them. Yeah. Uh, so, Nam, uh, they are going to be having a march for marriage oh. on June 17th, in the midst of Pride season. Why? Uh, to try to get the Supreme Court to overturn their marriage equality ruling. Wait. Oh, so this is a this is a group that doesn't support exactly. Okay. Yes. I, that was an important part of that. that uh, I, yeah. I, I literally. Specified. I literally yeah. was like. Why would it, like, I thought it was like a gay group marching for marriage equality, and I was like, why are they marching? We're yeah. done. I mean, we're not done, but we're done with that part Like, of it's hard it. for us to get ourselves yeah. motivated about marriage, because we got it. We're, yeah. yeah we're, well, I mean, motivated enough for me to go to a march. Yeah. You know. So, well, here's the problem for them, is that their people can't get motivated enough either. Well, of course. Be, I mean, for heaven's sake, at this point, we've the had for two have years. shifted so much. Uh-huh. I mean, to a point where now... I think I and I think this is the one of the one of the rare areas in society that or one of the rare areas that I think we as a people can maybe even agree with Donald Trump in that fundamentally of course we know Donald Trump during the campaign said he didn't support marriage uh, he said marriage is between a man and, and a woman I think we can all much pretty much agree and I wrote an article about this for for Out magazine about gay republicans we can pretty much agree that like Trump doesn't give a fuck about gay marriage and he doesn't give a fuck about even putting on a fight to end it. And yeah. he, 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 he's a businessman. And one of the best things about businessmen is they don't give a fuck if it, if, if it makes them money, great. If it doesn't, if it doesn't affect their wallet, they don't give a fuck about it either. Sure. Can I cuss in your podcast? By the you way? may. And, and so I think in some ways, like Trump is very emblematic of average Americans reaction to marriage in that they're just like, whatever i don't give a fuck anymore mm -hmm. like let them get married they're not hurting anybody right, right. and i and i think that is and it's not necessarily the best reaction that i want as a gay man i want him to applaud gay people getting married but i'm also like well i mean it's 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 the reaction i need so one of the problems there though is that particularly with republicans they're vulnerable to i mean i'm not saying that republicans hold monopoly on this where yeah. money is coming from yeah and where republicans money is coming from is people who don't want the gays to get married yeah. so i mean there is a business consideration there of like well we need to pay for this campaign and who's but it's a business it? it's a business consideration that is no longer viable i mean you look at like you look at major major companies hurting states industries because of transphobic yeah. legislation and and also just in general if 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 a company said that they wouldn't serve gay couples well then that's going to hurt their business mm -hmm. and it's not gonna it's just it's financially a bad decision to make right you know so like it, and republicans are about business so why would you make a decision why would you do something that's going to hurt money hurt yeah. someone from making money well so what's going on in texas this week is uh so there's a big lawsuit in texas lawsuit mm -hmm. lawsuit lawsuit and then which uh, one uh, oh it's not there's uh, there's multiple this one is just about 
should marriage should, should Texas ban marriage? Uh, can Texas ban marriage? Uh, no. And so I mean, this has been going on for a long time, really? and so the case is over. But uh, what was not over is the ACLU suing for. I think it was the ACLU suing for to recoup attorneys' fees. Okay. So this goes back to pre How much are they? Uh, six hundred thousand dollars. Oh, I was expecting more. Good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, because this wasn't one of the ones that went to the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, it worked its way through, and then uh, we got the Supreme Court ruling in 2015. And it made it null. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the litigation kind of ended. Yeah. Uh, so now the the, uh, uh, the 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 ACLU or whoever it was that was suing, I want to say it was the ACLU. It might have been Lambda Legal, whoever. Uh, they get yeah. six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, which you know, congratulations, Texas. You just wasted more than half a million dollars. Uh, you could have gone to a, lots of things. Yeah. Uh, I know. I, always, I I think I think about that a lot, and I'm also like. It's almost the American way to waste money, like in terms of our government and mm-hmm. our, our politics. So I, whenever I hear like, oh, we wasted $600,000, it's like, well, yeah, but we also wasted like how many billions of dollars in Iraq? Um, yeah, it's the way. It's our way. <laughs> it's just the, it? what we do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we can be counted on to, to do the right thing when every other avenue has been exhausted. <laughs> <sighs> Fundamentally, a business is about clients. So let's if we if you look at it in the context of that, a client is a someone who pays, mm-hmm. or if you have a service industry job or sales or whatever it is, someone who's buying what and you're someone's selling. buying what you're selling, and if you have an open policy of acceptance, then that means everybody can buy from you, which means you make more money, which means you make a bigger profit in the global scheme of things and you become more successful. Sure. So if you then limit that audience and say, I'm going to discriminate or I'm going to say, I'm not going to serve these people. And then that could piss off half of the other people that you do serve. And then you don't have a profitable business. Mm. So like it doesn't, I don't honestly, I don't want business leaders giving a fuck about me one way or the other. You can hate, the dick that I put in my mouth. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'll still go to your store. I don't care. Like, but just don't try to, like, not let people in, not serve people, to, to say that these people are wrong. It's uh, it's just it's just bad business. Yeah. I mean, you remember the Chick-fil-A thing? Well, yeah. I mean, that's maybe a counterexample, actually, because Chick-fil-A has a conservative clientele. Yeah. And when Chick-fil-A was like, oh, we're giving all this money to religious groups that discriminate against the gays, uh, they did gangbusters business for a while. And so, yeah. you know, they, they did something that their people really Didn't they change of. course, though? Um, it was complicated. And because of how franchises work, to I, my knowledge, they've never, they've never reversed. I don't... I feel very uncomfortable... I feel very uncomfortable judging any business based on the decisions of one person who may be an owner uh, in that business because i know i also feel uncomfortable like a lot of times i think like the only reason why i know something about someone is because they're they're no they're notorious or they're famous or they're whatever so like a lot of times i think about like i think about this with like bill cosby for example Uh like the only reason why i don't want to watch bill cosby things is because i know of the disgusting things he's done that said right I live by a 7-Eleven, and who's to tell me that the person who's working behind the counter at 7-Eleven hasn't done something absolutely horrible, but yet I'm still buying that big gulp from him? Like, sure. I Should I know what he's done in his past to uh, know what I should buy from him or not? Like, I don't... There's There's that question that I think is a really interesting thing, and that deals with these businesses. Like, the fact that we know that, 
you know, a certain business, a man who owns a company gives, uses that money that he receives from that company to give to these religious organizations that I disagree with, or these groups that I disagree with. Well, the only reason I know that is because some, you know, someone put it out there, but yet, I don't know. I don't know. Should I know that? And should I be bothered by it? Because it's his money. I don't know. Right. It's like, why buy, boycott something? Like, do yeah. you want to boycott because you don't want to, you feel bad about your money supporting yeah. an organization that represents something that you don't like? Like the Target thing. The Target thing yeah. really pissed me. One of the things that I, I do find very troubling about the queer community sometimes politically, the Target thing was a big thing. So they made a big stink about Target's political action committee giving money to candidates who... Yeah, it was Tom Emmer in Minnesota. Yes. And... It's like we focused on that one donation or that one person that was supported by by Target's political action committee, and there was no sort of emphasis given to the other countless politicians who do support the LGBT community. And it was like this: this is a business. This is a business that serves people who hate gays and people who love gays, and they're a business entity that needs members in Congress, and they're not giving money to people for their stance on LGBT issues. They're giving money to people on their stance on supporting their business. And it's like, that didn't bother me. And I felt it was out of, I felt, I felt it was irrational. I felt it was out of place. I felt it was like misguided in a lot of ways. And I felt it was fueled by, by emotion and compassion, which, and I used to work in politics. And one of the things I remember working on Anthony Weiner's campaign before he started showing his Weiner. Um, and one of the things that I remember, that drew me out of working in politics was this sort of leading with compassion mm. and how people do that. And it takes away from rational thought and it takes away from being critical and questioning things. And it takes away from maybe seeing a perspective that, you know, when you're so, when you're so impassioned by something, it's hard to see beyond that passion into maybe being empathetic or rational or looking, putting your you know feet in your shoes in someone else's, you know, feet or whatever this expression is um wouldn't it be nice if humans were rational oh i think they are i do think they are i do i do i just think the voices that we hear are so loud that aren't that we think people aren't i do think there is a i mean i think of my parents as a great example they're the most rational fucking people in the world everything that they do are just like i don't care i mean just don't you know don't bother me i'm fine i just don't i I just want to have dinner with my family and go to bed and be able to pay the bills like literally that's how they live so no matter what you want in your life even if like i had a good friend who from childhood who transitioned later and and you know that's very foreign to them Mm -hmm. very very foreign to them but they were just like well i bet she's happy now so you want to go to kfc like literally that was the expression was like and it's such a and and yeah that means they're good people but it also means like they and i do think they're emblematic of a lot of other people in this country who just aren't very loud about things and 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 there's so many people who are loud we're fueled by a politics and like a community that is very loud yeah and like when the fire island thing happened so i saw the preview for fire island this fucking logo show and i think logo i think logo is actually toxic detrimental to the gay community and is actually part of the problem i do think logo is trump to me i think logo is very dangerous in a lot of ways unpack that and and i think logo puts forth uh uh 
a brand identity that that makes people feel isolated and uncomfortable and and i think that what's that brand identity brand identity is there's one type of person that can be homosexual and they may have a friend that's black but that's about (laughs) it sure and uh and that there's one type of person and there's no women and if they are a woman they gotta be uh, and sassy, and sassy, mm-hmm. and have no sexual identity whatsoever, mm-hmm. and and that's never been done to the gays, never, yeah. never, and it's just it's so reductive, it's so fucking reductive, and it's like I want gay people to be angry about that and not Chick Fil A, sure, okay, you know okay. what I mean? I want I want I want gay people to not everything needs to be a rallying cry for community support. We need to be critical of our own fucking community sometimes and say, that's wrong. We need more voices. You can have that fucking fire Island show, but you know what you can also have, you can have that, that what's that SNL skit, the Cove one about the lesbians. Oh yeah, sure. You can also have that and you can have a show about gay cowboys and you can have a show about, why not have a show about fucking like, like the black gay experience in Atlanta. Cause Atlanta has such a rich fucking gay community. I mean, world of wonder makes a show about big Frida. Yeah. But have you, how many people watch that show? Not a lot. Exactly. So who's going to make is this logo show? picking that show up? No. And yep. it's, and, and that's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. The fact that logo won't pick up a show with fucking big Frida. Who's the shit. And it needs the promotion from a big brand like Viacom's logo. Fuck you guys. Sure. Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, at, at the very least, logo. But, yeah. uh, you know. At the very drag, least, exactly. I mean, you know, so Drag Race is on VH1 now. So. Yeah. Well, but, but there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why. Because Drag Race going to VH1 is so it's symbolic of not only the how being gay and queer in a lot of ways has become mainstream, mm-hmm. but also because logo kept Drag Race down. Logo kept Drag Race, I think, in a lot of ways, as a show that's that's on Logo. It was the only thing that Logo mattered for was Drag Race, and that's great. But it's also like, hey, Logo, you never caught up with the times. Drag Race evolved. Drag Race became a show that has a huge audience that is women and that 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 really reached out mm-hmm. to be more mainstream. And then RuPaul won a fucking Emmy, mm-hmm. and it's like that became a show that was like, yeah, we're always going to be weird and queer. But we're going to be able to address a larger audience and be inclusive in sure. a lot of ways. We can be weird and queer with more people. Exactly. And Logo, you just stayed weird and isolated and reductive. Well, you know, it, it's not quite weird, is it? It's that um, the, the cast Weird clones, in the bad way. Sure. Yeah. yeah you know, weird in the, like, why aren't you evolving way? Exactly. So yeah. yeah, like in the when I was when I was coming of age as a young gay man, yeah. it was all about uh, white guys who had broad shoulders yeah. in white t-shirts. Uh-huh. With uh, the white t-shirt was tucked into denim shorts. You were into Guidos, apparently. And, yes. uh, and they had like hiking boots. <laughs> yeah. And tube socks. Okay. And that was like the image of the gay man that I saw yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and now you know that's evolved over time, but you know it's that Fire Island guy of yeah. White, I, pretty, just a little bit of chest hair, but not a lot of chest hair, but just a little bit that you can kind of see the pattern, but not too much. Yeah, I, I'm i really glad I grew up in a time where there wasn't a gay channel because there was so much hope. I remember when Logo came out, I was in my 20s, so mm-hmm. you know, I was very much an adult and I was very much living a gay life. Um, but as a kid, I had to really identify my own gay life because there were lack of options. And I, 
I went to Logo when it came out thinking like, oh, this is going to be great. And I quickly learned this has no identity. And the only yeah. identity that it has, I don't identify with. And if I'm not going to get my identity there, then I'm going to watch television shows that I'm going to find the subversive identity that I need exactly. in different ways. That's what I want is a subversion. I want the yeah. Sylvia Rivera's. I want yes. something, someone throwing bricks through windows. Yeah. Uh, well, and I want someone like, I mean, watching Roseanne, hmm. I think I learned more about how to be gay by watching Roseanne than I ever did from watching anything gay. Mm. Just because Roseanne was so inclusive and so normal and so white trash and I identified with it in a way that was like, yeah, that's me. I have straight friends. I have women friends. I have gay friends. I I can be gay and straight people can like me. I can live my life in any way I want and I'll still be able to be friends with these people. And like, it was so... It was such like a perfect like logo needs a show like Roseanne. Yeah, the you know? gay Roseanne. Yeah. Don't call it that. Don't try to make it that. No, but they need something sh- that has exactly. that magic. That, that's from the standpoint of Nancy's character on Roseanne. Sure. So what it's like to be friends yeah. with all these straight people in the straight <laughs> world. That's the show that that logo needs. I wrote. I so I work at Newsweek and I I wrote about uh, Ellen's coming out this week, and I thought about you know with because it's the 20th i don't know when this is airing but it's today the this is april 30th is the 20th anniversary of ellen's coming out and there's this whole thing and i was able to do a thing on ellen this week on friday which was really exciting and i was thinking about sort of what her coming out meant to me and how it hit me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and um i thought about it and i thought you know her doing that showed me that i can be gay I can be gay in my work and I can be honest and I can still be a part of the straight community and the gay community and all these other communities. And I can be friends with all these other people and I can, I can hold my own by talking about my life in an open and honest way amongst people that may not be of my sort of, you know, lifestyle or my choices or what I choose to say and do. And I can hold my own and be fine and know that, Maybe I'm not accepted in their hearts all the time, but they can't deny that I'm there. Mm-hmm. And and that's a really important thing. And I got from that. I got that from Ellen's coming out that I was able to, you know, I, I you know, I thought when I was a kid, I'm not going to be able to be like a gay comedian. I'm not going to be able to like be funny and open about being gay or whatever I wanted to do in my life. And then I saw Ellen do it, and it was like, I can do all that. You can be whatever kind of gay you want. Exactly. Exactly. If and you don't I, see that gay, you can be that gay. And I feel that. I yeah. really do feel that. And Logo doesn't allow people to be that. Mm. Logo doesn't provide content that allows that lo- yeah. type of sort of viewpoint. And I think that viewpoint, based on my own little universe that I live in within my podcasting and my writing world and comedy world, the people in the gay, especially young gay you know, men and women that, that reach out to me, I recognize that they're very hungry for representation that isn't sort of Instagram abs and fucking Fire Island. They're 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 really really thirsty for it. They want it so bad. Mm-hmm. And these 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 brand people just think that they need to push out that garbage and it's like I looked at I look at Duck Dynasty as a really interesting example. That isn't gay, but it's 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 a niche in its own and it explains a lot about communities. The internet is niche people freak out about niche things now and and because there's so many avenues for content people go crazy and so you look at duck dynasty this is a show about rich trailer trash basically rich white trash people who 
are conservative and weird and crazy and why would that be a popular show? Because people want not only to look into the lives of people they don't know, they want to see that perspective and try to understand it in a different way, but they also want to be taken away from the lives that they know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people watching necessarily Duck Dynasty don't relate with that life. They don't understand that, those people, but they can't stop watching it. Right. And that's the same for gay stories, and that's the same for, you know, people of color. It's, there's so, like... I want to, I, 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 you know, I, I watched Moonlight because it was a genius film and it was beautiful and it was amazing and I took something from it and it's not because I related to that in any way really, <laughs> except for maybe, you know, not being able to, uh, to express love in an open way. But like, for the most part, I don't relate to anything in Moonlight, but I loved it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to relate to something to like it. Yeah, exactly. It you know, you can be like, I, I can don't learn get this. from it. And yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the reason you like it. Yeah. And so there you go. Gay media needs more of that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but the thing that, oh boy, I hate to say this. Andrew Sullivan had a thing about like how our suffering is what unites us as gay men. And that's a yeah. thing that can unite us. I mean, for sure, we yeah. do have you know, this shared language of, oh, well, we're the victims of this kind of discrimination or that. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. And well, I, but I think, yeah, I, I get that. I totally get that. I'm I'm, I'm working on a, a doc right now sort of about my conversion from Mormonism to Judaism. And uh, the director of the film has a very sort of specific sort of idea of what it means to be gay. And I have a very different idea of what it means to be gay because mm-hmm. I live it in a very organic, natural way. They're, they wanted to call the film, for example... Um, because the whole conceit of the film is that like I converted and now I have to have this bar mitzvah before I can have the bar mitzvah. I need to like understand what it means to be sort of Jewish in 2017. In doing that, she wanted to call it um, my big fat gay bar mitzvah. Mm. So we'll play on that. And I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I'm also like, my being gay has absolutely nothing to do with my decision to convert. Yeah. And my Mormon background has some gay attributes to it, sure. But... I, nothing in that had anything to do with being gay. That said, I'm not like in the closet in it. You look at me and you know I'm gay. Like, you know I'm a gay person from the moment you meet me until the end of the film. You know it. Yeah. I don't need to do anything gay to reinforce it. Are you like, can we just move on now? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think, and I think it's a more powerful statement for me to be talking to an Orthodox rabbi. Because I'm a gay man talking to an Orthodox rabbi. About anything. About anything. I know what you mean. Like, when I see... um, I mean, it's great. I love when people talk about, like, queer this and queer that and, like, all the theory and all that stuff. But it's also really lovely when someone's, I don't know, having a conversation about baseball or something. Yeah. Or whatever. And, uh, like, an electrician. And they mention their partner or they say something about Barbara Streisand. Whatever it is that, that codes them or explicitly... Identifies or them tips as queer. you off. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's nice when it's just a thing that's there and it's just an organic yeah. thing. I just and we don't want... have to talk about. It. We don't have to have a coming out story for everybody. Totally. Yep. I, and that's my like even with the Ellen's coming out thing. I never had a coming out story because I grew into it. My family and my mother let me grow into being gay mm-hmm. in a really honest and natural and loving way that I hope you know our society is moving in a way that we raise kids in that way where you yep. allow them to get there themselves yeah. you know a society of little h alan scotts well yeah i mean <laughs> i have really big pores so not all <laughs> so, yeah the, don't make the same mistakes i yeah. did kids Just please exfoliate from a young age <laughs> i can tell anything i can tell the youth of america anything <laughs> exfoliate 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 <laughs> hey Alan scott thank yes. you so much for joining me thanks for so much report. for having well, remind everybody where they can find i was gonna say thank you for having me but i'm like well thank you for having me on the podcast we're in my apartment um where they can find me yep I'm at H. Allen Scott on everything. You just Google that. 
and listen to Out on the Lanai and look yeah. through your byline and, and, and Newsweek and Newsweek and Vice as well yep. and a lot of other outlets and stuff and, and look out for you can watch the trailer for Latter Day Jew um, at mm-hmm. latterdayjew.com it's gonna be a good movie I think Yay. I leave for Israel soon <gasps> oh my goodness that's so exciting yeah well by the power vested in me by the internet I hereby pronounce this podcast over. <laughs>